Yeah, so how's how's moving going so far? How are you, like, already getting packed up? and? Uh, you know, we're, we're still in the planning phase. There's still a lot to do, you oh, know. Oh, hold on. Somebody's knocking at the door. Let me go look at that. Hello? Is Ligma there? Ligma? We don't know a Ligma. Who's Ligma? Ligma balls. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> Got us. It's another episode of Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast. Me, Mansfield, your movie monster boy, and the cinema coward. I have my doll face mask. <laughs> Derek. And uh, we are going to be discussing 2008 Brian Bertino home invasion movie, The Strangers. And we have a guest with us once again. Jonathan Nowacki is returning. Yeah, from our house episode. This is his first solo guest gig. Too. Hey, everybody. So we are going to be discussing the movie in a bit as you usual but first we are going to go through some recommendations so as the guest we'll go ahead and start with you jonathan what you got sure uh so as far as horror stuff goes uh as i've mentioned before i don't really consume too much horror you don't even really like movies (laughs) yeah i don't really like movies and i don't really like horror but uh yep so music wise i've been listening to a lot of video game soundtracks lately and the video game plock came to mind uh there's a boss theme from that that has a lot of horror elements to it it starts with a synth made horror laugh and and uh, it just keeps going from there. There's a synthesized theremin in there, all done on a Super Nintendo sound chip. From there, it goes into this kind of Italo disco kind of just bop. Yeah. And it's a, it's a ton of fun. Yeah, the composer, Tim Fallon, he's done a lot of work going back to the NES, Silver Surfer, and Solstice. Uh, Solstice has an opening track that's just an 8-bit, 4-minute prog rock track. <laughs> that's um, Yeah, that's the thing with Plock and Tim Fullen's work. Aaron, I think you would even appreciate it just from a musical standpoint because he does, like, prog rock shit when he absolutely didn't necessarily need to do that. Like, yeah. the Silver Surfer NES soundtrack is way better than that game deserves. Oh, yeah, it's a terrible um, game. But, like, Plock as well. Like, Plock in general is a great soundtrack. But, yeah, you're right. Like, especially with that boss theme there are like horror elements to it i listened to the plock stuff that you posted on our discord group and yeah that shit was all pretty fantastic and sounds exactly like you said something that you would hear in an argento movie or it sounds like even like b-sides from like the demons soundtrack yeah yeah it's good shit. yeah it's really fun other horror stuff so last night derek and i were sitting around reading one of my favorite subreddits fuck wasps and it's <laughs> All just people killing wasp and tasing them and all other kinds of horrific shit to wasp, but they deserve it because they're terrible fucking creatures. We came across this guy who was building a wasp room in his house, and 
He, Wait. Oh, yeah. Back up, back up, yep. back up. Yep, yep, when yep. you say wasp room, like a room that is decorated and themed with wasp stuff? No, or, you wouldn't. No. Wish that. Literally, <laughs> it is a room that you would walk in from a fucking nightmare that is just floor to ceiling covered in wasp nests. Not yet, but it will be. Uh, he started oh, bringing God. in nests from outside and getting wasp on his fingers with honey and then bringing them in all while trying not to get stung and attaching wasp nests to random parts in this room so he can have a wasp room. Like, has its oh, own God. little ecosystem in there. And he's completely serious. This isn't a joke. This isn't like, haha, Reddit, uh, 4chan, like, look at my nightmare room. But if it's completely serious, then why? Porqué? Yeah, no, I have no idea. The whole time we were asking the same question, what the fuck is wrong with this guy that he's deciding that he's going to make a wasp room? So, uh, listeners, if this sounds like something, because, like, I have more of a curiosity now, because he has plenty of videos. Like, we kind of went on to his YouTube after that, and he has tons of videos of just, here are my pet hornets. Here are my pet, like, yellow jackets from around the world. Here's, like, me transferring them. Here's, like, me getting a wasp queen and releasing her into the wild from the, oh, the hive that I'm raising in my house. But I, I know we're kind of giving him a, a free plug but like i think he has good intentions like he's trying to teach people i guess like about wasps and stuff but his uh his youtube channel is called just joshing and uh he has over two hundred and forty thousand subscribers he's doing way better than our podcast is god that's mm -mm. i am morbidly curious now and i will certainly check this out later tonight but i need to know why yeah just joshing uh there's plenty of videos but yeah the one we watched specifically like there was a wasp nest it was like, like 25 minutes long of this guy just one wasp at a time bringing wasp yeah. inside with honey and he's just like holding it down on his finger like oh shit oh shit oh shit oh shit the whole time to the room oh god yeah and like the, he got the wasp nest literally from like their front porch like it had been growing on their front porch and he decided to like and the way he does it like this whole room he has set up there's dirt on the floor there's like this humidifier fogger from outside like like it's a habitat room but it's a whole room made into a habitat room and like he takes the nest like once he gets all the wasps inside he takes the nest and super glues it to a hot fucking glues board. the damn thing like some five minute craft video nightmare oh god it's <laughs> <laughs> just pine board yeah and then he uh he like takes all the wasps and like reintroduces them to the hive to their their nest when he has it on his wall he does it twice the 25 minute video we watched he did it with two different nests i really am curious now because i've seen pictures online of people going in to clean up hoarder houses or abandoned houses and finding massive wasp nests that have been growing for who knows how long and i'm really curious to know how long it takes to like fucking xenomorph slime cover an entire wall in wasp nest you know what i mean like how long is it going to take them to grow that because you find wasp nests that just appear on your porch and it's like oh shit that wasn't there like two days ago you know so how long is it going to take them to like fucking slime up all these walls that's bananas oh man Maybe we need to keep watching his stuff and find out. Yeah. Yeah, I am very intrigued now. This is going to be what we check out this evening once uh, Heather gets home from work. Yeah, no, it is a very much a DIY, like, here's my wasp habitat room. Like, an entire room to the house. It's like an entire bedroom, empty bedroom. And there's one point where he walks in the hallway with a wasp on his finger and, like, his sister's in the background. And he's just like, hey, sister. And she looks just so done with his shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, apparently, like, I looked at his uh, other videos and there are other videos where like he gets his 
sisters involved. One of the videos was like titled like, I show my sisters my hornet's nest I've been growing. Oh god. Just, what the fuck? It's okay, he'll, he'll end up on a serial killer registry at some point and we'll be talking about him again. <laughs> and that's the problem. He is like a bro white guy, like the most sincere person about it like and he's just yeah he's only like yeah you might be expecting some like 40 or 50 year old no this dude's like maybe 19 straight out of a frat and he's just like i'm building a wasp room (laughs) so i have a recommendation that is going to be along these lines that we will get to in just a minute (laughs) okay well i do have uh so he had mentioned 240,000 subscribers this other guy we watched last night his views in his videos were in the 50 million kind of count jesus yeah this guy has a channel and it's made for kids and teens called uh, Brave Wilderness. And this guy's name is Coyote Peterson, which if you're not familiar with him, <laughs> uh, it sounds like a pickup artist, but he is actually... Um, More an adrenaline junkie. Yeah, like he's, guy. he's a... Okay, so he goes to like rainforest and stuff to teach kids about, you know, this animal and that animal. And also he finds the most dangerous animals and he's like, I'm going to get this thing to fucking sting me. He's like dipshit Steve Irwin. God. And so he goes... <laughs> through he goes through the, the insect sting index and he's just like all right cool i'm gonna start with uh putting my hands in a giant thing of fire ants and then i'm gonna go on to a tarantula hawk and then i'm gonna go on to a bullet ant and then i'm gonna get welcome to the coyote pack we're going to the sting zone today it's the yeah. executioner wasp the, oh god <laughs> so This guy has over 18 million subscribers on YouTube. He will be way more successful than we can ever dream. We watched like five or six videos already like of these sting videos. The reason why we're recommending this audience, if you're wondering, A, because Jonathan isn't a normal horror consumer, and B, like this is real life horror. These videos are so nerve-wracking because like he gets the insect, picks it up with pliers and makes it mad, shows it to the camera, and then like puts it on his arm and the camera zooms in as the stinger like enters his skin and then the next like 10 minutes is him just writhing on the ground (laughs) that is like wild borderline almost animal abuse in a way i am with you guys like man fuck wasps fuck any of those kind of bugs but so many of them once they sting you the only way for them to get away is to like literally rip their fucking assholes out as they fly away and then they die 10 seconds later so i wonder like how often or maybe this guy's just like a professional he knows what he's doing and then no you know, he's he's definitely legit a professional yeah he's you can tell from the sting himself and then they get away fine you know uh, to his credit i will say like we are like dipshit steve Irwin more but just because like who in their right mind would do this themselves but like his handling of the animals even when it comes to insects seems legit yeah like, like he, he, seems... he catches it in an actual insect bug he keeps it in like these specialized capsules he makes sure to get them back in the capsule and reintroduce them to their hive that yeah. they came from so what this reminds me of a thousand percent. There is a fucking Chuck Palahniuk book that came out when we were freshmen in college called Rant, an Oral Biography. I read a little bit of Rant, actually. It's all the people in this small shitty town talking about and remembering this one fuck-up kid named Rant who, like, causes this giant all kinds of weird shit to happen, blah, blah, blah. But one weird subplot of that book was that he gets bit by, like, a Black Widow spider. 
spider um, when he was a kid. It bites his grandmother because it was in her, like, Sunday hat on the way to church, and she fucking dies. And he purposely reaches over and gets bit by the spider as well, and it gives him, like, the most raging fucking boner when he was a child, and that just, like, fascinates him. So then as a teenager, he's doing exactly what this guy's doing. He's going around and finding, like, everything that he can, like, get bit by or stung by to, like, get a fucking rage boner again. So he's sticking his arm down snake holes and in spider webs and shit under the porch and just anything to like get that punch of venom and eventually he becomes like so inoculated that like none of it bothers him anymore and he's just chasing whatever that next thing is all to like just get a fucking rage boner and he would keep spiders and shit in his apartment once he moved to the city and would have to like get bit before he could have sex and all this crazy shit. That's exactly what this reminds me of and that's all I was thinking in my head the entire time was man is this guy just chasing the most screaming boner <laughs> and that's why he's doing this. Well he did the Japanese hornet too so probably. Yeah. Oh, it is all God. made for like kids and teens so it's uh. It's supposed to be educational. Yeah, yeah and a lot of his videos are educational like he's just out in the wilderness and like okay it's this type of seal and he's you know it belongs to this family and this is how you treat it if you come across a seal and you know things like that and i'm gonna pick up a jellyfish he also does these sting pain index videos he went down the entire sting index that it's like the scoville index for bugs yeah and like he he, he tried each sting to test it and like even wrote a book about it like and it's not just insects apparently he's done like other animals that can sting i'm gonna get a lobster to pinch me (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, but a little mild spoiler, if you do decide to watch these videos again, they are entertaining videos, like, I'll give him that. The bullet ant and the Japanese hornet are considered, like, the most painful stings in the world, right? He finds a new type of, or not a new type, but he finds a wasp, like, in Costa Rica, I think is where it was. Yeah, Costa Rica, I'm never going to Costa Rica. (laughs) And it's called the Executioner Wasp, and that thing fucks him up bad, to the point where he's like... Yeah, that doesn't sound at all ominous. Yeah, like, to the point where that... That, that is like by far he says the the worst thing in the world but yeah that's real life horror shit like in these insects especially the executioner uh, wasp and the japanese hornet they look terrifying fucking menacing <laughs> But yeah, those are some good recommendations. <laughs> and weirdly enough, again, that that all works into what my recommendations are that I'll give you all in a second. Yeah, but uh, Jonathan, did you have anything else? Or No, that's about all I can think of. I don't really, like I said, consume too much horror content. Well, there is one thing we did watch, and we do have to bring it to attention. Oh, yeah. And it, we'll share this recommendation, Jonathan. Our buddy Dan Bell on YouTube has a little show called Another Dirty Room. Another Dirty Room I brought up on the show a few times, and it's already shaking his head. For those of you who don't know what Another Dirty Room is, Another Dirty Room is all about how this guy, Dan Bell, and a couple of his buddies purposely find, like, those right-off-the-highway really shitty motels that you always, like, see and look at and look at that building and wonder, like, how is that still a business? How is that allowed? And they go into these rooms anonymously like they pay by cash and everything and they film in the rooms and they basically rate the rooms and like look around the rooms and see just how dirty these rooms are i brought them up a few times i think the last time i brought them up they went to new orleans and they did one or two rooms in new orleans jonathan's the one who turned me on to this series and earlier today he was like 
I wonder if they ever put out any new Dirty Rooms. And lo and behold, actually several months ago, I don't know how I didn't catch this earlier, they did another Dirty Room, Charleston, West Virginia. And forgive me y'all if I did bring this up on a past episode, but like, if I did watch this one, I didn't pay enough attention to it because Jonathan and I watched it and this was probably the absolute worst bathroom of any hotel motel oh, I Jesus. think I've ever seen in my entire it life. It was atrocious. Yeah, go, go ahead and take it away, Jonathan, like the stuff that they discovered. <laughs> All right, so first off, there was a ton of roach shit everywhere. I mean, just total infestation. And the light fixture, yeah. Yeah, and the light fixture, they just took a light fixture off and there was roaches in there and it was all just disgusting. They did a bacterial colony test on the toilet and anything above a 30 is, you should really clean this, it's really dangerous. The toilet got like 600 or something. Cool. The shower head got like 6,600. Yeah, the shower head, it was their second highest reading on the bacteria scale ever on the shower head. The floor was falling in uh, rotten wood everywhere the bathtub looked utterly disgusting they found chicken in the freezer not packaged not not packaged just frozen frozen in the freezer little pieces of chicken not a bag not anything just there's some chicken in there they put it in the microwave and one of the guys ate a piece when they put it in the microwave So when they put it in the microwave and started the microwave, roaches scurried out of the microwave because, like, no one had used it forever, and they had infested in the microwave. So when they turned it on, like, all these roaches came out of it. And just like every episode, the bed was covered in piss. Yes. God. Why? You gotta watch an episode, man. Look, it's it's real-life horror. It is real-life horror. It's way scarier than any movie uh, you've yeah. ever seen. This is worse than any horror movie you could put on. I know. This shit stresses me out so fucking bad. So much worse than, like... Like anything I've ever seen in a fucking movie. Oh God! All right, yeah, let's move on from this, Derek. What the fuck <laughs> did you have to talk about? Oh man, I love bringing up another dirty room on our show. But yeah, check it out on Dan Bell's YouTube page. So actually, I'll start off with music too. Uh, lately, and I know I brought him up in the past, but lately I've been listening to Melvins, and I've been listening specifically to the Houdini album. Good shit. Yeah. Arguably their best album, I'd say. If you don't know the Melvins, it is sludge metal, regarded as one of the best in the genre. I think Boris, a band that all three of us listen to, Jonathan, you were the one who introduced me to Boris back in college. They got their name from the They got their name from the Melvins. But specifically Houdini, there's something really dark and heavy about this album. And not like dark that we've described in the past other albums, like not like Prevailing Darkness. No, this is like in your face, like wall of noise overtaking you, like hard sludge. To the point where like, I, I know I brought this up when I had them as a recommendation in the past where I wondered how are more of their songs not used in horror movies and the track itself night goat seems perfect for a horror movie really this whole album is just filled with fucking bangers
I remember it being pretty out of print for a while, at least the vinyl. Like, it was really hard to come by, but I know they reissued it in 2016. Yeah, it's been reissued a few times since then. But yeah, all that early 90s shit like that, you know, when it came out on vinyl, that was it, you know. So it was definitely sought after once that boom kind of started coming around a few years later, but they've definitely reissued it since. Yeah, and the Melvins are right on that cusp of, like, being accessible, but also being track by track on this album. Like, some of their songs are like more i guess quote unquote radio radio accessible and others are harder to get into but yeah there's just this like weird sludge doom metal energy to this album that i think it would work so well with horror and i think horror people who also appreciate music if they haven't listened to the melvins already really should listen to this album it's it's just kind of start to finish a great album to the point where i think and i was i was just checking on the wikipedia article real fast I want to say one of their songs has uh, some Black Sabbath riffs or like kind of uh, inspired riffs from Black Sabbath on this album. And I'm seeing a little bit of that right now as I'm reading along. But yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think there's really that much of a need to have to justify this as a, like a horror recommendation. Do you all have anything else to add on that? Not regarding Melvin's, but I did think of one other thing. I wouldn't say it's a recommendation, but it is something horror-related that I've consumed in the past couple months since the last time I've talked to you, and not to turn this into, like, true crime or serial killer That's podcast fine. of we any kind. We talk about that all the time. But uh, I read the audio transcript of the tapes that was played by the Toy Box Killer, and that is some real oh, fucking terrible yeah. shit. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. some awful shit. Yeah. That was one of the very few episodes that I barely made it through on a few different podcasts that I've heard cover that. After the first episode that I listened to covering that topic, I just skipped those episodes on the other shows that I listened to. That's understandable. Because fuck having to revisit that. Yeah, that's some truly, truly terrifying shit. I think that's one of the reasons, like, we had mentioned about things that scare me. I had mentioned that realistic horror is something that scares me more, something that could feasibly happen to somebody, which is how we arrived at this movie. Yeah, in regards to like you being on this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of the things I was thinking of. And I think it's more real life horror that scares me more than even realistic. Like something that legit has happened in real life and you can hear or see the actual whatever happened. Nuh uh. Yeah. Like it, it creeps me right the fuck out. And, and there's a good point to that, like kind of going off that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I don't know if it's a recommendation, but that audio thing. No, I would highly recommend you not listen <laughs> yeah. to it or read it. Yeah, it's fucking disturbing. I've, I've listened to some of it too. Same thing with. Aaron like I've listened to it on a few podcasts it always is horrifying it's kind of one of those things where like whereas with horror movies and even in in real life like well realistic stuff doesn't bother me as much one of the scariest things I've ever heard in my entire life to this day is uh, recordings of 911 calls and one in which like it was a stranger's kind of situation Mm -hmm. where like a woman called in and was claiming someone was stalking her apartment and then like on the phone call mid phone call the guy breaks into her apartment and just like stabs her to death i listened to that and it fucking haunted me so like if you don't want to sleep and like you want to lose all faith in humanity and everything that's good in the world yeah do yourself a favor i guess and look up fucking 911 calls and true crime calls uh and recordings they're they're great yeah wonderful yeah. and also if you want to lose faith in humanity try being a pokemon card collector right now topical <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, another like another recommendation I had is going into the world of video games. This is more of a survival game that has more like horror adjacent elements to it. But honestly, there's enough horrific shit in this game that I honestly think like it's unofficially a horror game as well. It's called The Long Dark, and it's been in development for quite a while now. It was actually funded through Kickstarter back in like October 2013, and they're releasing it like at least the story mode. They're releasing it by episodes and they're planning on having five episodes in total currently there are three episodes out i played through the first two episodes and each episode is hefty it's like four to five hours long the premise of this game is that it takes place in the canadian wilderness you play as this pilot who is contacted by his ex-wife who is a doctor of some kind like it's inferred that she's like a medical researcher and she has this case and you don't know what's in the case but she says she needs to get it to a village up in the Canadian wilderness on an island. It's one of those places that's kind of just separated from the rest of the world. Someone there needs it. Uh, You don't know if it's like an organ or if it's some kind of experimental treatment or what. So the pilot agrees to this and so him and his ex-wife, as they're flying out to this village, all of a sudden these northern lights light up the sky and they cause his plane to crash into the wilderness and he wakes up later from like the plane crash and he's all fucked up. His plane's totaled and he's just out in the middle of the wilderness his wife is missing and he finds the case that she had and he takes it and then you that's how you start the game and it's a survival game it's one of those survival games where like you have you know a thirst meter a hunger meter a sleep meter and normally i don't like those kind of games normally like i think they're either way too punishing or those elements are like so non-existent that it doesn't really affect gameplay the long dark seems like a perfect balance of the two i actually had fun foraging for supplies and being able to create campfires to warm myself a big part of it is is coldness as well like you have to wear certain layers of clothes your clothes can get ripped sure. as you're attacked by animals they can get drenched if you fall in water but the thing that causes this game to be really kind of more horror is especially at nighttime if you don't have a light source it is like pitch black it is like you are out in the middle of nowhere wilderness with no lights and you're trying to survive the elements like the horror is surviving the elements but on top of that so there's a, a plot point in the game is that animals are acting strange since this light happened in the sky you can get attacked by wolves bears at any time and anytime that happens it's fucking frightening because it can happen very unexpectedly and it's all first person and they do a good job of like animating everything. I, li- I really dig the art style of the game. It kind of has like an energy similar-ish to The Last of Us, like where it's very somber and dark. Sure. The coolest thing, and this kind of spoils end of episode one and into episode two, kind of. Not a huge spoiler, but if you want to play this game and you really don't want to know anything, like skip ahead a couple minutes, but it actually becomes a gameplay element unto itself. On certain nights, those lights will appear back in the sky, and anytime they appear back in the sky all the electronics in the area just start acting crazy like they like flicker on and off sure. and it's really ominous because like when you're walking through like a train port or something like all the lights are flickering in the middle of the night and wolves are going crazy and the animals become more aggressive and that's the thing too is you discover as you play that when that light appeared in the sky you don't know if it's like knocked out all electronics across the world or just in the Canadian wilderness or what but like no electronics are working cell phones are gone like nothing is working it's like one big EMP wave 
wave that caused like permanent outage. But yeah, when the when the northern lights kind of appear in the sky, like everything kind of reactivates in this weird finicky way that just kind of makes it really ominous. So yeah, Long Dark is really fun. Like I said, I just beat episode two and episode two is all about you like fighting a giant bear that's been stalking the area and this bear is like like has arrows in it and like scars all over it it stalks you throughout the entire chapter and it's terrifying i may have missed this but what system is this for so this is on everything basically it it came out on steam early access for a very long time and now it's out on xbox one ps4 switch they are updating it even to this day with new shit because there's also other game modes besides the story mode okay they're like objective based stuff as well as like endless survival mode so they're constantly updating it and adding more content to it and like i said they still have two more episodes to go and there's also a little more sci-fi i think element to it you discover later on towards the end of episode two and into episode three but it's really good it's well voice acted too uh i don't know the voice actors off the top of my head but the doctor and the pilot are both pretty famous voice actors so it's a really good game i really enjoyed it this sounds like it's at least in part influenced by stephen king's zoo yeah there that could be like it, it feels you know what it feels like it feels like a cormac mccarthy novel as well it feels like the road a little bit it's reminded me a lot of lost as well so it's it seems like it's kind of pulling influences from a lot of places yeah and there's no like supernatural or like sci-fi elements beyond these random like lights causing the animals to go kind of crazy and the electronics to like go whacked but you know who's to say that doesn't show up in the uh in the future episodes i'm sure that's probably going to become a more prominent thing in the story later on yeah. yeah and i did i did peek out to like the other play modes and on the challenge modes there is like a mode where like a supernatural force stalks you and you have to make it to like from point a to point b surviving as this supernatural thing is stalking i think it might be like a devil bear situation basically okay but yeah that's all i got for recommendations cool well I've got three movies that I want to talk about that are all animal related. So that works perfect for our entire discussion that we've been having so far. Yeah, a lot of animal attack kind of horror this go around. Yeah, and I don't know like why. Well, I mean, I do know why. It's because all this shit just suddenly showed up on streaming that I've been hearing about forever. But okay, here's the first five minutes of this movie. A guy picks up a woman. They get in his fucking helicopter. They fly to his family mansion, which is this former convent that's out in the middle of nowhere. He has a creepo butler guy. They sit down for dinner and a fucking cat jumps onto the table. And he's like, God damn it. Why do you keep getting out? Grabs the cat by the scruff of the neck, stomps through this castle and fucking heaves, just yeets this cat. And you see the cat in slow motion flying through the air and landing perfectly on its feet into a fucking pile of hundreds of other cats. And then he fucking shoves the woman into the pit of cats and kills her. And this movie is called The Night of a Thousand Cats. Okay. <laughs> and that's literally fucking it. I'm going to add it to our list right now while you're talking. Um, no, this is not a movie that we are ever going to cover. What? It is just over an hour. <laughs> it is not good. I have heard about this movie from a few different places over the years. I did not want to spend the money on like the Code Red Blu-ray that's been available. But it is now streaming on Tubi, so you can watch it for free. It was directly 
directed by Rene Cardona Jr. The other movie that he's well known for is Tintorera Killer Shark. Oh, it's a 1972 movie. I thought this was a newer movie. No, this is like an old fucking movie. It is shot in Mexico. It stars Hugo Stiglitz, who is a pretty prominent exploitation star but yeah it's just this fucking like classic horror setup of dude who lives in a mansion on an isolated area and he has a pit of fucking cats that he feeds people to it's wild uh one person gave it two out of ten rating yeah it's a fucking bananas movie if you want to watch a really weird oddity the next thing that i watched was slugs uh which was directed by juan piquer simone who did pieces which we will certainly fucking do a giggle flicks of one of these days and the rift this is exactly what you think it's a fucking town that gets infested by all these killer slugs so the first image i pulled up is just this like wild mutant slug biting someone with fangs yes so it's just people being like fucking attacked by these slugs and by the end it's ridiculous and they're like pouring chemicals in the sewer because that's where they're all gathered there was like a toxic chemical dump that they tried to cover up and it just mutated all these slugs it's fucking bananas watching a couple have sex in the most 80s ridiculous kind of way and then the camera pans down to show that the floor is completely covered in all these slugs and you know of course they roll off the bed and then start rolling around in all the slugs and camera shoots up and they've got like half their face eaten away dude this is based off of a book yes this is based off of a horror novel what the fuck i assume they tried salt right so that's something that they did joke about like yeah can we just use salt and uh you know somebody was like no these are resistant to salt now because of the chemical whatever it is the most jimmy buffett dad team up movie to take down these slugs and you can't really tell the leads apart because they're both just generic white dude kind of leads but there's just a fucking wild scene where one of the guys goes goes to like tell his wife goodbye because he's going to fight the slugs. <laughs> <laughs> It's just one of those fucking moments where, like, it's like the Commander Shepard meme of, you know, when I get back, we'll bang, okay? <laughs> and that's pretty much exactly what he tells her. Um, I'm, uh, I'm gonna go out for a while. You'll be long? No, I don't think so. Where are you going? Well, to tell you the God's honest truth, Brady and I are gonna go kill some man-eating slugs. <laughs> oh, I trust this so-called killer slug, so yours aren't. 18 years old and speak French. (laughs) But I tell you what, when I do get back, how about if we get naked and get crazy? I'll be here. It was fucking ridiculous. And then the last thing that I watched was Cruel Jaws, a.k.a. Jaws 5. And this came out in fucking 1995. It is directed by Bruno Mattei, who is a well-known Italian exploitation director who made a lot of rip-off movies. So he made Robo War, which is a fucking Robocop and, like, Predator mashup. And then he did Shocking Dark, a.k.a. Terminator 2, which is actually just a rip-off of Aliens. (laughs) 
<laughs> this guy sounds like a legend. Yeah, he made a lot of insane shit, just blatantly ripping off other bigger movies, like word for word repeating exactly the same kind of dialogue, right? And like the same scenarios. So this movie, it was marketed as Jaws 5 and all these other parts of the world. And they like, you know, got cease and desist to hell and back. But what's crazy about this fucking movie, not only does it copy beats of Jaws's plot bit for bit, it literally uses fucking footage from Jaws... <laughs> In this movie, they just blatantly fucking lifted iconic shots from Jaws and just put it into this movie. How has this not, like, been cease and desisted into oblivion? Where It it's has like, been, that's the thing. But, like, people been. have been able to redistribute it. Like, I'm seeing Scream Factory, like, put out... No, Scream Factory didn't put it out. Well, no, I think maybe they did. I can't... No, I think it was... Severin Films. Because if you pre-ordered soon enough... It was canceled, that's why. You would get a... Well, Severin Films did just put it out. Because if you pre-ordered, you would get an alternate slipcover that had the Jaws 5 artwork on it. I own Shocking Dark, and I pre-ordered it, and I got it with the Terminator 2 slipcover, right? <laughs> but this fucking movie, like, uh, aside from it using footage from Jaws just completely unapologetically, it literally fucking uses music from Star Wars as well. <laughs> Completely fucking lifts bits from Star Wars. One of the main characters is like this owner of a dolphin and sea lion park in Florida and he just looks like fucking Hulk Hogan Diet Coke. His like daughter's in a wheelchair and the sister is falling in love with the son of the guy who owns the park and just all this back and forth bullshit drama. But then it's still like, oh yeah, the three of us are going to set out on a boat to go catch this shark and, you know, lines like, oh, we need a bigger helicopter and oh, man, dude. shit like that does someone say the the best line in movie history black eyes like a doll's eyes that unfortunately no but there is definitely like they catch a fucking shark and they're like this is the shark we swear this is the shark nobody could have a shark like this in this kind of beach and they're like it's not the right shark it's mouth isn't the same size and all this shit it's like beat for fucking beat jaws but it has that weird earnest sincerity of something like the room or miami connection like it has that weird like like, oh, y'all took this shit seriously. Everybody acting in the movie took it 100% seriously, even though it is just blatantly ripping off Jaws. And again, 1995. So everybody is dressed like, you know, fucking roadies from Mother Love Bone. High bikinis and, like, Baywatch shit. Like, it's it's fucking ridiculous. So I, I, I did pull up that uh, Screen Factory had planned to package it as a double feature with Exterminators of the Year 3000, but they ultimately canceled it because... Because of the unauthorized footage it uses from both Jaws and other shark movies. Apparently it's yes. not just Jaws that it rips off. Yeah, Jaws is the most blatant one because there are iconic shots from Jaws that they just lifted and just kind of inserted right in the middle of shark attack scenes. So yeah, that was 
it's some wild shit. So that one, I believe right now is available on Amazon Prime. That's where I watched it. So you can get a hold of that one pretty easily. Cool. So those are my three recommendations. Again, just nonsense, bullshit, silly stuff this week. But yeah, that is all we've got now. So I guess uh, let's let's talk about this movie. I'm very curious to know kind of what y'all's take is now. Oh, man. Because this is a movie that I think y'all maybe have different reactions than you expected. And I have certainly changed my opinion on this movie a little bit. So once again, we are going to be discussing Brian Bertino's 2008 home invasion movie, The Strangers. I love you, Jimmy. What is that? This episode might be a little controversial because I know this movie gets a lot of love, especially from the horror community. I did go into it with certain expectations myself. I was even excited with Jonathan joining us on this episode because it is considered one of the scariest horror movies just in general, period. And knowing that Jonathan, like the stuff that he fears, he even said earlier, is like kind of real life stuff. And I think all, or at least us two, were pretty lukewarm to, like, didn't like it. I enjoyed it enough. I see why this movie is liked. I see why this movie has a cold status. I get it. But I think I had overhyped it in my own head. Don't get me wrong. I think it's better than Mothman Prophecies. Like, I think still think that's the worst movie we've done so far. But I didn't have as positive as of a response to it. And Jonathan didn't sound like you did either. Yeah, I... Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, and I will mention again, I don't watch a lot of horror content and I don't watch a lot of movies so all of my opinions regarding this are going to be very very base level. That's kind of what we wanted. We wanted like someone who had a base level Yeah, so I've never seen this. This might be like one of the only home invasion movies I've ever seen, if I've even seen another one. Uh, Home Alone? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I've seen seen Home Alone. So uh, yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't quite get the point of the movie. I didn't think it really had much of a plot other than just, well, there's people here and they're being spooky. It is very random acts of violence. For our listeners, too, like, Jonathan even texted us saying, like, is this a thing with horror movies where, like, it's more of an event rather than, like, plot at all? And I I told him no, because even on our podcast, most of the other movies we've done are way, like, plot-heavy or character-heavy. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of character dynamic in this movie, 
between the wife and the husband, or sorry, the boyfriend girlfriend. The, the fiance? No, no, they're not. No, even they don't fiances. even make it to fiance. No, no, <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of like character drama between them, and it's pretty well acted and everything. But beyond that, it, it is really just more like you were just watching like a random act of violence happen. That's the point. And even then, a lot of it wasn't even a random act of violence. It was just them walking around the house being spooky. The end of the movie is a random act of violence. Well, and to that point, my thing was like I actually like the randomness of this movie like you have to get to its level or take it on what it's trying to say and i do think it has a point it's trying to make with like randomness of this attack basically in this stalking it's very uh gang stalkerish and everything the thing that took me out of the movie actually was the horror itself and it was more just how slasher this movie became like i thought this movie was going to be a lot more like realistic to the point where even the killers were operating on like a very realistic way where they were also maybe like making some mistakes and flaws which you could make the argument yeah maybe they were but it got to the point where they were like fucking teleporting like the guy entering the entering the house with like no explanation at least show us that like he picked a lock or something or like that you heard a door open in the background or whatever like he just appears in the hallway and then they just happen to get their cell phones like so fucking easily to like break the cell phones or take out the batteries because this is a 2008 movie so it's all flip phones but like it it gets very slasherish by the end like they're teleporting all the place they're stalking her acting like slashers and i didn't want that i wanted more of not snuff but kind of more of the home invasion aspect of it like where everyone is flawed and everyone is human but the thing that's scary is that like they're outsmarting them like i get it i get that the main characters are both like they had been drinking they had come from a wedding it starts off in a really dark place for them because they basically either the relationship is ending or it's in a very rough patch so like they're not making the best decisions but like when shit gets down to business they are born victims and i don't mean to like victim blame these fictional characters but like they make some really fucking dumb decisions. Yeah. The one that really drove me up walls when they're in the car, just run over that guy that's in front of you. They had plenty of time like to react to that truck driving behind them coming to ram them. Just run over the fucker in front of you and like go around the house or something. To be fair, the tires were flat. Yeah, they were. So my background with this, because I'm the only one who had seen this prior. Yeah. And I had seen this several times beforehand. And I do apologize if I hyped this up too much, especially to Jonathan, <laughs> without having watched it start to finish myself. I'd seen scenes of it, and I knew a bit about it from the zeitgeist, but I just got too excited, I think, that Jonathan was actually going to watch a horror movie. So, I saw this movie when it came out in theaters, and I think because everybody in the theater had such a strong reaction to the movie at that time. Like, this movie was one that you could hear pins and needles drop through the entire course of the movie and then as soon as something happened like people were freaking out there were definitely some people that like left the theater you could feel the tension around you and it really did work for me at that time and I think honestly I just had not necessarily seen as much as I have seen now and I have definitely seen this entire concept done better and done with more plot and with more character development that you care about 
what's frustrating is I do think these characters are interesting, and I think what's going on with them at the beginning act of this movie is interesting, and it lets you kind of know where they are and, like, what things are going on in their relationship and kind of, you know, what their mode is when this movie starts. But from there, like y'all said, they just make terrible decisions, and it's frustrating as an audience member because, you know, you, you immediately think of, like, all the other options on, like, what would I have done? You know, what would I have done in this situation? No, pick up the fucking gun, don't put it down, grab this, grab that, keep running, just any of that stuff. You know, don't go outside, just don't fucking go outside, don't open the door. You know, like, if you think they can get inside, cool, watch those places, but I, I don't know, like, it, I, I definitely like this movie, and it's one that I enjoyed showing to other people, because it is still very effective in the moment, especially if you have complete darkness, and it's really fucking loud, um, especially if you have a surround sound. Yeah, so I will say that I when I watched it, I didn't watch it with headphones like I should have, and I didn't watch it with surround sound. I just watched it on my screen, basically. I think, to a degree, I, you know me, like, I'm one of those people that, like... It's part of the experience. You know, what? watch everything on like the biggest tv you can with the best sound that you can yeah. i don't have a problem with people watching stuff on their computers on their phones on their tablets just because okay if that's what's available to you fine you definitely lose something this movie's impact instantly diminishes in my opinion it like does. when you go from a theater that's dark and you're locked in to watching it at home on a computer screen in the middle of the day it's a very different experience certainly I put on my TV and I have a big TV screen and a good sound bar and everything. I just don't have surround sound. I didn't have headphones in. And I did go back and rewatch a couple scenes on my computer with my headphones in. And to this movie's credit, like one of the things I do like and that might have made the experience scarier for me is there is a lot of background noise that you wouldn't pick up on otherwise unless you were kind of in that perfect viewing element. Even noises I didn't hear through my sound bar on my TV that I picked up on my headphones. And that's one of the things I will praise this movie for. It handles background creepiness pretty well. Sure. One of the creepiest scenes I think in, I've seen in any movie, and it didn't outright scare me, but it was creepy to watch, was that part, and again, it kind of also took me out of the movie at the same time, where like her husband leaves to go, or not her husband, I keep saying husband, her boyfriend leaves to go get something, and she's like... Are you talking about like the scene in the kitchen in the living room? Yeah, where she's in the kitchen, yeah. and she gets like something to drink. That's the scene that everybody cites, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> see that guy in the mask kind of fade into the background and just staring at her from the hallway. That's well done. I liked that. The, the, what took me out of it, going back to kind of like what Jonathan and I have talked about a little bit too already, is like, how did he get there? They never explained how he just was in the house now. And later on, as they're really attacking them and like stalking them and fucking with them, like they're breaking down the door. They're breaking the windows. Like, I don't know if they're just doing that. On, yeah, there's probably purposeful reason for that, but it's implied that like they're trying to get in the house, but they were already in the house to begin with. I don't think it's that. I think it's more just they were purposely terrorizing them like yeah. they know that they can get back in the house if they wanted to it's more just fucking with them yeah i don't know i just i still think the scariest kind of quote-unquote realistic horror we've done is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was our very first episode, and Black Christmas. I was kind of hoping that this movie, like, would at least trump one of those as, like, this is the scariest, like, kind of more realistic horror for me, and it didn't really quite do that because, like, it really just turned, by the second half of the movie, it really just turned into me just, like, thinking, like, how would I react in this situation or, like, why aren't you doing this instead of what you're doing on screen? And yeah. it, it really just took me out of the movie. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw is a very different thing because there's, like, a level of abject 
grossness to that movie that Black Christmas and this movie, like, don't have. These are both very, like, suburban, or in this case, rural. I mean, that's part of it is the movie's kind of playing on the whole idea of country life is safer, you know, it's not as crazy as the big city, blah, 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 but yet shit like this can still happen. Well, and and to that point, like, I think part of the reason why Black Christmas freaks me out more than this movie is because it is in the middle of, like, suburbia. Yeah. That sorority house is in the middle of a busy area. Yeah, but ultimately, like, you know, again, I have a long history with this movie, and it's one that I remember having a really profound effect on me when I first saw it, because it was just so shocking, but I, like, also got it at the optimal viewing experience. And I struggle with that entire notion of a filmmaker's responsibility to make a movie that is as effective watching it on the big screen in the optimal sound setting and, like, environment versus also watching it on your computer screen. And that's something that a lot of filmmakers talk about now because Netflix has just such a, like, house style and how they shoot things and how they light things because they know that people are watching shit on their computers, on their tablets, on their phones. And so they're shooting stuff now to look good on those smaller devices and give you the same experience. And I struggle with, is it a filmmaker's responsibility to make their movie as effective in the theater as it is watching it at home on your TV? Because in some cases I would say yes, and in some cases I would say no. You know, whenever Christopher Nolan and people like that go on and on about the theatrical experience and, you know, you shouldn't watch shit on your phone, like, fuck them, whatever. So many people, like, that's the only method they have to consume media. So, you know, it is what it is. But I do feel like this movie gets diminished a little bit, you know, when you're not watching it in that optimal environment. And I would also say, I think because this last year has just been so oppressively bleak and aggravating, and especially, like, the last four years of, you know, fucking politics and Trump and just the, like, state of our nation being the way it is, just having so much real-life anxiety, paranoia, and, like, weight in our daily lives. When I go back and I watch a movie like this that initially kind of had me, and I watch it now, I'm just so fucking checked out. And I'm, I'm like, not engaging with the movie in that same way because it's just not the vibe that I want to be in. And I know that's not fair to the movie necessarily, but that's where we are. That's where we are, like, as an audience. And it's hard to go back and watch something like this when, like, all of us as, you know, a community, as an audience, are, like, not vibing on that same level. And to that point, like, when this movie came out, it was a bit more of a hopeful time, like, in the U.S. because that was, like, right at the tail end of Bush and we were getting into the Obama years and we were all young adults in college. This just seemed like the right movie. I do kind of wish I, I had seen this when it came out. Like, I think it probably would have affected me a lot a lot more. It really did feel like a return to a lot of the 70s thrillers and horror stuff. Like yeah. A lot of the low-key realistic stuff like Last House on the Left. But now going back to it, it just feels hollow and it feels really like dry and just kind of oppressive in a way that I just don't want to bother with now. To this movie's credit, it does those kind of riff on that kind of stuff, like the home invasion or all that, but it takes out the problematic nature that some of those movies deal with, specifically with, like, rape. There's no sexual angle to this movie. Yeah, it's all violence. It's, I mean, and violence, don't get me wrong, violent death and murder is disturbing unto itself, but, like, there really is no, like, rape revenge or anything like that. Which, on one hand, that is kind of nice, because... 
the threat of rape and rape is just so fucking prevalent in horror movies. I'm tired of that shit. Find something fucking else. But as far as home invasion stuff goes, you're right. That is such a like common fear and trope with that particular subgenre. And so it is strange that this is one of those instances where there is none of that. Well, and to the, follow that point, one of the things I love about this movie is that two out of the three intruders are women. Sure. And like, it seems like the leader of the group is the woman, is the is uh, the blonde-haired one that's wearing the pinup girl mask, um, or the doll mask, whichever one. I really found that fascinating, that, like, it's two women and one man. Really, the man, honestly, seems like the quiet muscle of the group, sure. and the other two are doing all the creepy shit. On that note, being that they're all wearing masks the entire time, and I can't really tell who the actors or actresses are, just kind of had, like, headcanon of who's behind the mask the whole time. The lead woman there, I spent the entire movie movie just thinking and maybe it's because the big eyes on her mask that it was amanda seyfried from uh, mean girls <laughs> sure yeah i mean this is kind of like her grown up i guess in a way yeah that's character. that's who i was imagining this the is whole what time is do. just like karen from mean girls to that point like that does feel like like that's what makes this movie even scarier is like the two girls in it do look like just two of the mean girls but grown up as adults and they decide the way they get their kicks is to choose a random couple out in the middle of nowhere and go murder and terrorize and murder them that's the thing and like because they were home yeah because they were home so like we are being critical of it but i say i will say overall i enjoyed this movie i think it is a decent horror movie i think it's even if it seems like one that you wouldn't enjoy i say if you watch horror movies and you haven't seen the strangers you really need to add to your list it has a cult following right now for a reason. There's still enough interesting things it does. Just even from the way it shoots certain scenes and the way it handles noise and everything else, that like it, it's worth watching as a horror fan. Now, as a horror newbie, like let's do my spiel right here. I'll actually throw it over to Jonathan. Like you surprisingly didn't find it that scary. Kind of no, like well, why, really. why? Why was that? As as someone who is even more of a horror newbie than I am, why didn't it scare you as much? I think it had a lot to do with my expectation of it being more realistic going into it. Like you had mentioned earlier, the kind of like teleportation and it was just them kind of being chased around the house. Not really chased, but just going from room to room around the house doing stuff that made no damn sense. I know it's written in a certain way and it's really stupid to look at a movie and go, well, this is what I would have done in this situation. But like, he's holed up in one room with a shotgun with the like perfect angle to shoot anybody that comes in the and door. And all that ammo. And all the ammo. <laughs> in, the, in the closet. Yeah. yeah. He, there's three people after him. He shoots Dennis Reynolds and then waits to shoot the other three. Okay. Poor Dennis in this movie, by the way. I didn't mention to either of you that he was in this movie. I just wanted to like see what y'all's gut reactions were to him showing up. For our listeners, that's Glenn Howerton, who plays Dennis Reynolds, who actually would do this in the show It's So Always Sunny in Philadelphia. He would be one of the people stalking and terrorizing, but he, uh, yeah, he's the drunk best friend who shows up and just gets shotgun blasted in the and face. And the second, the second he shows up, like, I'm like, well, I know what's he's gonna dead, happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because the guy's holed up with a shotgun. He's waiting for anybody to come in. I just don't see why. And to the point, though, of it not being realistic, they leave a room and come back ten minutes later, and they have been in the room and there's writing on the wall yeah I just like don't, a lot of writing on the wall and it's perfect yeah i will say i think the scariest scene in the movie to me or not really the scariest but the one that had me the most 
anxious was whenever Liv Tyler's character was in the pantry mm-hmm. and Creepyman was walking by and going, uh, I guess, towards the kitchen. And then like and sits then, down like, on, sits the, down on and, the sofa. And then and he looks like straight at her and then Creepyman walks back out. And then all of a sudden... All of a sudden, Pinup Girl shows up and starts like scratching at the door, but then doesn't do anything from there. Yeah. That's a pretty good jump scare. It just seems that they're toying with them, yeah. Three of the scarier jump scares, and none of them, well, maybe the last one got me a little bit, but like otherwise, I was surprised that they didn't make me jump, but they are pretty solid. So, like, for other newbies who might be affected by this movie, it is pretty heavy jump scared. Um, it definitely deals with a lot of gang stalker, just you're out in the middle of nowhere in a cabin, and all of a sudden, strangers just show up and start fucking with you and then it ends with you being killed like it's your worst imagination possible that you think of when you're in like a new place kind of out in the middle of nowhere but the three jump scares that came to my mind that were pretty good was the one where she's like looking at the window and she has the curtains drawn and she's hearing like tapping on the window or she thinks she hears it and then she pulls back the curtains and the bag-headed guy is just standing right there staring at her and then he just starts pounding on the window that was a pretty good scare but didn't get me too bad the one that you just described jonathan with where pinup girl just kind of right comes right in the frame and starts scratching at, at the pantry but the one that actually was pretty creepy and the one that did stick with me after watching the movie was at the very very end so spoiler alert you may want to jump ahead like a couple seconds it ends with the strangers tying up Liv Tyler and her boyfriend I forget the actor who plays him and you know they're like why are y'all doing this and they're like because you're home and then they take off their masks you never see their faces which I love that the movie does that that you only catch half of their face or like only see barely a reflection of it but you never can tell quite what they look like so they take off their masks and reveal themselves to them then they stab them then it jumps forward some the house is all fucked they're all laying there in puddles of their own blood and these two kids who are i think they're either mormons or jehovah's witness kids arrive on the scene on their bikes and just like walk in these poor fucking kids by the way like talk about nightmare fuel yeah walk in there's a fucking bloody shotgun blast of like dennis reynolds brain on the wall he's on the floor there's this dead guy tied up on a chair dead on the floor and then Liv tyler's body is right next to dennis reynolds as one of the kids is coming up on the body and about to touch her she just wakes up screaming that soundtrack cue distorts in with her scream and that sudden scream i know we talked about this a little bit with vp morris on our uh sounds of the lambs episode she mentioned that a sudden woman's scream is scary that was kind of one of those moments like that is kind of one of the things that i'm weirdly scared by I will say one thing that this movie does really well is its uh, sound direction is really good. I watched this movie in the dark on a nice monitor with headphones on. You did it the right way. You know, I was texting you guys during it. It was what, like eight o'clock at night or so. It was dark outside. Yeah. The only thing that really took me out of it was my cats kept bumping my hand. But other than that, I I did notice that the sound direction was really good. Um, Anytime there was a jump scare, really, it did a good job at it especially with headphones on. I think the first one that really got me was just the knock at the door because it goes from being really quiet to really loud very quickly. Other things I really liked about the movie, I know his name was Mike in the movie, but we're just going to keep calling him Dennis Reynolds. When Dennis was was walking through the house and Spooky Man was behind him with an axe and like Merle Haggard was playing the whole time, like that was done really well. Um, Oh yeah, the stuff with the vinyl like on the The vinyl just skipping over and over and over and over again. Like that was really, really well 
well done. Yeah, I really like the sound direction of this yeah, movie. So like there there is a lot of stuff to still like bring you to this movie, even if we're kind of cold on it. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a well-made movie. Yeah, it's definitely well-made. Especially for like a first-time directing gig for Bertino, and he was not lined up to direct this originally. But like, you know, I, I think it's well-made. I think the acting is good. I think the atmosphere is all really solid, but you know, it's it's the story stuff and how it kind of just slumps in that middle third and just kind of becomes them running around screaming for you know 40 minutes that kind of becomes aggravating the build-up to it like the first third first half even the build-up to it is all excellent and the very end like them revealing themselves stabbing them and then like the kids discovering it that's all great but yeah all the other stuff is very slasher movie but to your point about the acting being well done i agree with you and actually i didn't know how i felt about Liv tyler as an actress i still kind of i can't decide whether like i think she is i think she's good i've never really seen anything that she's bad in i I, wasn't she in the incredible hulk she was in the edward norton one yeah the mcu one i didn't like her in that i think she's kind of miscast for that role but i don't think she was bad in that role yeah that that whole movie is kind of a mess but she is incredible in this movie this was her best performance i think i've seen in any movie including like lord of the rings i think she's in yeah she's in all the lord of the rings movies yeah she uh she plays the i forget the elf's name uh, i apologize but legolas yeah like yeah, she plays female <laughs> legolas um you know and she's fine in those movies but this movie really felt like she put in her performance it was very well done she's probably my favorite character in the movie even though it was only I was like say there's only like five characters yeah, in the movie. there's only like five but like she really does a great job of acting through this to the point where I was reading that during shooting uh, one of the two women strangers legitimately scared her in a scene when she wasn't ready and like they kind of did it impromptu and, and kept it in the film and I couldn't remember I think it was the part where like she's in the shop or in the barn and like she starts hacking at the table and legitimately scared Liv Tyler to circle back around to Jonathan's point about like the sound design and everything you know again I think this movie is very well crafted and the sound design is maybe the thing that stands out the best for me to give you an idea listeners this is a story from our college days that both of you will definitely remember there was a night that we were all hanging out at y'all's place Mm -hmm. so in college y'all lived in a party house and i lived in a party house that was literally right around the corner they were in walking distance you could be there in four minutes right and so we all used to bounce between each other's houses constantly to hang out and then some other of our friends moved another like you know two houses down from us so we would all just wander between each other's houses pretty consistently and we would have groups get together and you know you'd maybe have some people split off and go from one house to another so there was a night that we were all hanging out at y'all's house yep and all of a sudden the door busts open and busted in the door and she had been at our house and was like oh my god somebody's breaking into y'all's house there's somebody outside somebody's you know in y'all's driveway like trying to get into the house banging on the door i do remember this we're all drunk we got a posse going <laughs> basically yeah. right uh, several of us were drunk we grabbed like bats and shit yeah fuck this shit we grabbed <laughs> bats and just whatever was kind of laying around rob i think was still living with jonathan and i and devin and i think he had got his sword like out like yeah <laughs> like he had like a fucking lord of the Rings sword or some dumb shit yeah we all fucking drunkenly like march down the fucking block and look over our house and we 
we are all like inside, outside, all around, looking underneath the house and looking behind the shed and just everywhere. Turn all the fucking lights on. Nothing, right? Nothing. Nothing looks like it was bothered. Nothing looks like it was disturbed. Nothing. We were all kind of on edge that night wondering, like, did something happen? Because there have been break-ins, right? You know, a few of us had our cars broken into over the years and, you know, there were definitely some, like, attempted home break-ins, which I'll talk about in a minute. So, like, we were all kind of on edge, right? And then, like, two fucking years later, she finally admits during a game of Captain Dickhead that nothing actually happened. She got fucking scared because she was at our house by herself for some reason watching the strangers and the surround sound freaked her the fuck out so hard that she thought somebody was actually breaking into our house. (laughs) She didn't realize that we had a full-blown surround sound system in the living room. She freaked the fuck out and ran down the street. And she didn't tell us that and admit to it for fucking years, but that's like how effective the soundscapes of this movie are. I do not remember that in the slightest, but I don't remember like three quarters of college. Well, to this point, (laughs) here's another thing that happened, and it was right after The Stranger's came out because I think I want to say it was 2008 into 2009 it was at the end of one of the breaks I think it was at the end of one of the December breaks it might have been the Christmas after the strangers came out Rob was still living at our house as well and he got back to the house before any of us before the end of break he left his hometown and came back days earlier when we got back to the house like before the semester began he was just like holy shit you guys you'll never guess what happened I couldn't sleep one night it was like one or two in the morning I had been playing drums earlier in the night because no one was home in the house and like it was still break no one was around the neighborhood and all of a sudden I start hearing knocking on the door repeated knocking and I opened the door but I like kept the chain lock on and yeah. like opened it part way and there's just this guy and the way he described it it sounded very much like how Gemma Ward's character Gemma Ward's the one who plays the blonde haired stranger sure and he said that it was just this guy he's like oh uh I live around the corner yeah I noticed you had I mean I heard you have a drum set and Rob like in his head was like I hadn't played drums since like eight at night several hours earlier this guy might have gone to the window and looked in he's like yeah uh do you want to like jam i was just curious if you see if you want to jam it's two in the fucking morning and rob's just like uh nah man like i think i'm about to go to bed he's like oh no i, I have my guitar here like if you let me in like we can jam and rob was just like i'm sorry man you're gonna have to come back and like he closed the door on him and locked it and he said like he slept with that fucking sword again in his room like oh, holding it and uh uh, the guy never showed up like he, he never saw him again like he claimed he lived two houses down from us the people that live there like looked nothing like this guy like it was probably someone probing to break in but yeah it was very strangers-esque so that shit does happen and the background of this movie what it's based off of is fucking creepy yeah so that's what we're gonna get to so brian bertino wrote this script it was originally called the faces he claims that it was inspired by a real incident from his childhood where someone knocked at their door super late at night asking for some rando person that didn't live there and then the next day he found out that they were knocking on people's houses and if nobody answered they were breaking into those houses right this happened to us growing up 
Somewhere, I think in high school, there was a rash of home break-ins that were happening in that same area that we lived during college, where people were coming to their doors at three in the morning, knocking furiously, waking people up, and like claiming that there was a car accident, and that people were hurt, and they needed to come in and make a phone call, blah, 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 and like call 911 or whatever. That shit happened to us. And I think that might be part of the reason why I did kind of respond to this movie the way that I did at the time, because we had that exact scenario happen. Guy, like, banging on the fucking door at 3 in the morning. Luckily, this was a night that my dad was off work, and so he was home, I was home. We all fucking woke up, and he was claiming, like, there's a car accident, people have been hurt, he was all frantic. But then my dad was like, okay, cool, where is this car accident? You know, we don't see anything, we don't hear anything. What do you need, you know? It's like, oh, can I come inside and make a phone call? And he was like, no, I, I will call 911 for you you if you need but no you're not coming in the house the guy's like i just really need to come in like i'm freaked out and he was doing everything he could to like get inside the house and we just told him like no fuck off and we called 911 and it was kind of a like hey this guy's claiming there's a car accident we don't hear anything we don't see anything just come and check the area out and the guy waited outside of our house but he didn't just chill on the porch he was kind of chilling in the flower beds and like walking around the edges of the house looking at the windows and stuff fuck that and that's immediately when we were like yeah let's call 911 you know he disappeared he just fucking vanished and the police showed up and kind of talked to my dad a little bit then we found out the next day that he had been roaming around the neighborhood looking for houses that would just let him in and he had broken into two houses over the past week with the same shtick and like basically beat the fuck out of people and robbed them you know he didn't murder anybody or rape anybody or anything like that but you know that kind of shit does happen um you know especially if you like play up the like panic there's something immediate like going on I need to get inside I need to get inside you know so like I definitely responded to this movie in that sense because I had experienced something like that in my real life as well too I was gonna say I do remember growing up in our neighborhood and granted New Orleans is like high crime city but (laughs) the area we were in like wasn't known for that type of crime but I do remember a couple instances like growing up and then just over the years of just people like knocking on the door at like one or two in the morning. My parents' house has these big front windows right by the front door and then like literally coming up to those windows and peeking in and like looking around. But we've always owned dogs and we've always owned boxers, like big dogs. So they flip the fuck out. They yeah. flip the fuck out. But like, yeah, I mean, that, that happens a lot. I think it is a pretty common technique for people looking to mug or rob places. But to your point, I think you were about to get into it, but another real life event that inspired this movie was the Sharon Tate murders like from the Manson family because like I will say the very end of this movie like where they have them tied up and it's the middle of the day and they remove their masks that felt eerily close to like what I imagine the Manson family murders looked like if you listen to any true crime podcast or see any true crime stuff about it like at one point they tied up all the members of the family and Sharon Tate and everyone in the living room and were like standing over them like guarding them for a while and talking to them you know one thing towards the end of this movie that was pretty creepy to me. They pass by the two, like, Mormon kids and stop to, like, get a tract from them. Yeah. The kid seems really scared, and as they're driving off, you can hear one of the ladies say, like, it'll be a lot easier next time. Yeah. That little line right there was pretty creepy. The the only lines they utter are always really cryptic, and really, I think it only, like, 
you only ever hear Gemma Ward's character say anything, the blonde-haired one, who I think is kind of the leader of the trio. She says that. She says, like, because you were home. She says, we're like, you're gonna die. The kid even asks her, like, are you a sinner? And she says, sometimes. I, I mean, I don't know what expressions they're they're wearing as they're, like, murdering them, because you don't see their expressions. But, like, they sound almost somber, even, or at least she does, where this just seems like something they have to do. Sure. But you never learn, like, what the motivations are. And I, I think that yeah. is a very smart thing absolutely yeah because the original ending that they shot there was more dialogue and interaction between the couple and the killers and i think they showed their faces in the original ending yeah yeah they showed their faces they even like cleaned up the house a little bit and then swapped into their clothes before leaving so like some of that definitely leaves the mystery a little off at that point so they decided to cut that stuff and i think that's smart well and another smart thing that this movie does is it takes place all from four in the morning on and most of it is in darkness but when like they reveal themselves and actually finally commit the murders like it's bright out like it's a beautiful morning outside like there's something just so creepy about that on that note there was something that either took me out of the movie or there was something that was supposed to be implied there that i wasn't sure about in the fact that okay creepy men knocks out Liv tyler um this is right before they show him all tied up and everything drags her down the hallway with dennis reynolds she wakes up and she's back in the nightgown that she was at at the beginning of the movie whereas she she was just previously wearing like jeans and a hoodie. Sure. They like dress them back in what they were wearing from the wedding. Yeah. So I just thought that was odd. Yeah. I, I didn't know I, if I there think, was something that was supposed to be implied there that I just didn't pick up on. I think it was just it was... them fucking with it because the blonde haired stranger like sees the ring case mm-hmm. and like the stuff on the uh, table and you get the idea that they sort of know some shit went down between the two of them before like they started terrorizing them. And I think that was just kind of a weird way to like just to fuck with them, to yeah. fuck with them and be yeah. like oh we know y'all are in love with each other so like let's dress y'all up like you're in the wedding again yeah speaking of bleakness like i know you're talking about like how it's bleak on bleak and that kind of like is what took you out of it aaron it's also the thing that really didn't work for me with his latest movie the dark and the wicked which i just talked about three or four episodes ago yeah same thing it's just unrelentingly bleak and it just kind of fucking ends you know like okay whatever for our listeners this movie starts it starts with a failed engagement i should know their characters names but that's his fucking fault I'll yeah say. Like, no it's one definitely rule, his don't fault fucking propose at a to wedding somebody at yeah. another person's yeah. wedding like just don't ever fucking do that <laughs> but like it ends with a failed engagement and like him and dennis reynolds like came to the cabin earlier that day and decorated it so like it starts off in a bleak place where like she said no to him basically so <laughs> yeah, and so there's this scene where, like, she's going to go take a bath, and there's already rose petals in there, and he's just awkwardly like, well, I didn't know if you're supposed to put them in before or after. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of weird. And then, okay, I don't know if this is a horror movie trope, since I don't watch a lot of horror movies, but it seems like it is or should be. The bathtub water was brown. What is it with, like, nasty water? I think it's more just that they're in the yeah. middle of nowhere, and it's rural as fuck, you know? That, that's not really a horror trope. Oh, okay, um, I didn't yeah. know if just, like, nasty-ass water was just, like, yeah. a no. imagery that popped. So more of a horror trope is, is them murdering pets. <laughs> that's that's a horror trope. Yeah. <laughs> that's one thing that this movie is missing is, oh yeah, there's this old-ass farm cat that's there, and then, you know, suddenly the cat's no longer around, and you see the cat dead. Yeah. This movie avoids that. Yeah, thankfully. As far as, like, background on this movie goes, you know, we talked about Bertino's kind of real-life influence. Um, you know, he also cites the Manson murders, like we mentioned, but... 
keeping the focus on the victims and kind of the randomness of the murders instead of really delving into the psyche and the background of the killers and yeah. going all into like why are they doing what they're doing like this movie completely avoids all of that you know and all you need to know is it's basically like three people from Mean Girls grown up and they decide to become murderers that's basically <laughs> and they, they put on scary masks like that's all you really need to know and the mystery of it is what makes it creepier and again I do love that two of the out of the three of them are women and like they are just as terrifying as this big hulking dude they have with them too the Keddy cabin murders in 1981 is also something that you know people have thought to be maybe an influence but Bertino kind of denies that he had even heard of that beforehand the one thing that I would say and this is another like the timeline doesn't fucking match up kind of things a lot of people gave this movie shit when it came out claiming that it was just a ripoff of a French movie from 2006 called Them Ills is the French title I'd say, honestly, this movie owes more to Michael Haneke's Funny Games, which That's is what I've always heard. definitely something that we're going to get to eventually, and definitely a m- much better, actually fucking terrifying home invasion movie. That is the definition of get-under-your-skin, meta-realistic kind of shit. But Them was released in July of 2006. Bertino fucking sold the screenplay to Universal in 2004. And the filming on this movie began in October of 2006. So, like, there's no fucking way that that movie necessarily, like, was an influence and got ripped off or anything like that. I do remember, like, just kind of with horror in general and just kind of the mindset, there was this weird, like, thing in the mid-aughts, break-in idea. Yeah, there was something in the zeitgeist. The idea of, like, true story horror was very much a thing. And that's something that like I do not like about this movie and I didn't like it when I saw this movie is the fake fucking Texas Chainsaw this is based on a true story this really fucking happened. And that 911 call yeah. like that never like happens. It's like a fake 911 call. That's something that I've never liked that this movie tries to do at the beginning. It, it would have been way more effective if they just didn't do that. Like if it just came in and it showed what it was and then that was that. Like I mentioned a second ago Bertino was not originally set to direct this movie. But instead, they approached Justin Lin, who did a lot of the Fast and Furious movies, and Star Trek Beyond, which is, in my opinion, maybe the best of the new Star Trek movies. Yeah. And then they also approached Mark Romanek, who is a, like, very well-known music video director. He did fucking Nine Inch Nails Closer, and he did the Johnny Cash Hurt video, and fucking 99 Problems for Jay-Z. Like, he's a well, well-known music video director. And then he had made One Hour photo which was a like horror thriller with robin williams yeah they were both approached and they passed and universal kind of handed the script off to rogue pictures to develop and that's when they just said like fuck it why don't you come and direct this movie that you wrote the movie was shot in south carolina in 2006 the inside of the house is all soundstage the outside's a real house they shot the entire thing chronologically which is kind of a rare like directors don't typically do that unless there's a specific reason for it both of the lead actors took the roles because they were kind of interested in like the whole first act and all the dialogue and the lingering questions and the romantic angle of it like that's kind of thing that sold both of them which you know Liv Tyler plays Kristen like we mentioned she had been in a lot of stuff before this she was in Heavy, Empire Records Stealing Beauty, That Thing You Do U-Turn, Armageddon was you know one of the biggest ones and obviously you know Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings baby Scott Speedman that plays 
James, he was mostly a TV actor. Didn't you call him Discount Brad Pitt? Dis- yeah, off-brand Brad Pitt. Off-brand. <laughs> That's what Jonathan, yeah. Jonathan texted, texted us that as we were watching. He is just kind of Diet Coke Brad Pitt in a lot of ways. He was on that show Felicity. He was in Dark Blue. He was in fucking Underworld. That's yeah. maybe the other thing that most I remember people now. are going to yeah. know him from. Like Even non-horror fans, most people kind of know him from fucking Underworld. Out of the Dark, and then he was in that Animal Kingdom show that's been on for the last couple years but overall like they took the roles because they were kind of interested in the relationship stuff and like all the drama and character stuff at the beginning you know and they thought the general premise was scary so like sure you know it was an easy sell for both of them kip weeks Jim ward and laura margolis play the three strangers and they were all kind of cast specifically because of their body language skills i think the other two are maybe uh stunt doubles but a Gemma ward yeah. was a model Jim yeah Ward's a model yeah yeah. yeah, Liv Tyler would work herself up by running around and, like, doing jumping jacks and shit to, like, kind of get her all, like, worked up. She even developed tonsillitis from fucking screaming so much while making this movie. And this is another weird instance of a horror movie that gets fucking finished and doesn't come out until later. So, like, they were originally supposed to put this out in July of 2007, and it got pushed to November, and then it got pushed to the following May. So it came out almost a year after it was done. Why was that? Do you know why? I'm not sure. I didn't I really find, like, studio a specific reason. Bullshit. Just studio yeah. shit, yeah. But this movie was a huge hit. It had a $9 million budget. It made just over $80 million, so it definitely was a huge, huge hit at the time. Yeah, I mean, I remember everyone talking about it when it came out. Yeah. And they had been trying to develop a sequel to this since this one came out. They just never got anything off the ground until a couple of years ago, which I did watch Strangers Pray at Night. It's fine. I know it was definitely mixed when it came out. A lot of people were like, yeah, this is so tonally fucking different from the first one. It's goofy. It's campy. The, like, 80s soundtrack is kind of wild. But then you had a lot of people who were like, no, this is fucking amazing. The pool sequence is incredible, blah, blah, blah. Like, it, it was fine. The same problems that I have with this movie, I have with the second movie, which is the characters make a lot of fucking dumb decisions. The killers seem to just appear out of nowhere in that slashery kind of way, and they definitely seem to be, like, slightly more invincible in the sequel even, as far as, you know, just not being able to go down easily. While I do kind of complain that the killers didn't follow, like, realistic rules, like, I do like that this movie made no effort to fuck them up at all. There's a little bit of resistance from the couple, but he, they never get the chance to like ever do damage to any of the other. Sure. And I'm glad they didn't do that because that would have took me out even more. Like if they did like shoot the guy with the shotgun and later on he's fine and like killing them. Yeah. That was one of the things too. I don't know if y'all did the same thing, but by the last third of the movie, I started devising strategies at how I would respond if I was in this situation and like what I would do differently. If I had screwed myself to the point where like I had lost the shotgun I didn't have my phone all of that stuff I realized what I would do is I would just rely on out crazy the crazy so instead of them like sitting there and like letting all these things happen to me like that part where she like pulls back the curtain and he's there at the window and she freaks out he starts banging on the door what I would have done is immediately gotten naked, grabbed a knife, and like licked it and went yeehaw and ran outside screaming with the knife naked. So like, you know, I was thinking of even shit like that. Like, 
my my go-to strategy when all else fails will be like trying out crazy the crazy wild and just card. yeah wild card bitches <laughs> like that's what it would be well as far as everything else in this movie goes there's definitely some stuff that's not aged super well like the handheld camera work in this movie that was being done a lot at the time and it does help to kind of ground a movie and make it feel realistic but there were times where like man the fucking handheld camera work in this movie is so overdone where they're just sitting there at the kitchen table and the entire frame is just moving fucking everywhere and I just want it to like fucking be still I didn't notice it to be honest with you I didn't notice it at all either this is the biggest thing that drags me out of the movie and it's partly because I'm such a music person as well that anytime this shit happens in a movie or a TV show it immediately immediately pulls me out and aggravates the piss out of me. All that music, all the needle drops are like songs and artists that they would not have on vinyl at this fucking rural vacation house belonging to his parents. (laughs) I would get Merle Haggard. That's the only believable one. And, you know, they don't like give the location of this movie. They shot it in South Carolina, but Bertino being from Texas, I'm sure he probably kind of wanted it to like look and feel like Texas. They designed the house on the inside to look like Texas. Yeah, it looked like a Texas ranch on the inside. Yeah. So, like, Merle Haggard makes sense. But Richard Buckner, Jillian Welch, Joanna Newsom especially. like That one really threw me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that one was... Yeah. She's such a weirdly specific artist with her, like, fairy girl-like shtick, right? And, like, Wilco and Brilly Bag. Like, all that stuff. A, the fact that you never see the record change out. B, the fact that so much of that shit from those artists is either not available on vinyl or is not available, like, to find easily and their parents would not have owned this in a texas ranch house out in the middle of nowhere like that's the stuff that drags me the fuck out of this movie Uh, you say they never switched the record i'm just saying that you obviously don't have the merle haggard joanna newsom split (laughs) (laughs) i fucking wish that is kind of grinding into the details but to that point it is it is. But and that, details like a, matter. That's a thing that it bugs me, but those details matter. Don't fucking put something like Joanna Newsom in this movie and expect me to believe that his parents owned that on vinyl in the middle of this rural-ass Texas town, you know? But the, the other thing that bothered me about it is the songs were so on the nose to, like, what was happening. Like, it was just kind of like, yes. all right. That's another thing that aggravates me. Okay. Let's, uh, let's be honest, though. I mean, if it had been more realistic selection, it would have just been like, here's a whole bunch of records from, like, Herb Alpert the Tijuana Brass and yeah oh what's it Chuck Mangione just hanging out there but I think I would have at least respected that a little bit more because again like there's <laughs> no fucking way Wilco and Billy Bragg would be playing Wilco. at you know, his parents house <laughs> yeah but would you would you really respect it as much as if you know the killer's going through the house and Spanish Flea is playing <laughs> <laughs> I think it would maybe feel more realistic as far as like them fucking with them or something but yeah I don't know like that's something that does bug me in a lot of stuff like Heather and I were watching True Detective season one and I really enjoyed that first season a lot until it gets to the sixth episode where it really breaks down a lot of why those two guys were butting heads and like what the inciting factor was and there's a scene that's supposed to take place in 1994 where there's a sex scene happening and Father John Misty is playing on the radio Yeah, yeah. right like immediately I was just like the fuck is this and Heather and I were both like like, the fuck is this? <laughs> to that point, with True Detective, I remember there being a scene that also was supposed to take place in 1990s. And 
A History of Bad Men by the Melvins by the plays Melvins in the background, playing, yeah. and that came out in 2004, 2005, so yeah, yeah I get that, I get it. Yeah. it. It is a weird stuff that sometimes bothers me. I do appreciate, though, a lot of the dialogue. I like that the dialogue is very naturalistic, I like that you're not getting a ton of exposition dump stuff ever, like, there's tons of lingering questions, and I like that you get just enough information about what happened, you don't really find out the reason why she didn't accept his proposal you know you don't really get a lot of the details and i do enjoy that stuff and i think the dialogue is very naturalistically written just dumb stuff like i love the scene where he's struggling to put the shotgun together and she's like wait didn't you go fucking hunting with your dad you told me you used to go hunting with your dad he just says no that was just something that i said you know like that's a very like realistic and damning kind of thing Mm -hmm. that like we've all been in that situation before yeah like we're trying to impress someone and like yeah yeah and then when push comes to shove you have to kind of admit no that never happened yeah i do like that and then part two where while like i do kind of like laugh that he tried to propose to her at his friend's wedding which you said like you said is like a major faux pas no no even though the bleakness is overwhelming in this movie one of the parts of the bleakness that i did like is kind of the tragedy of what happens to them at the end because she does say like i love you right before he gets stabbed to death and he does the han solo i know but it's very like despite her rejection earlier and she actually has been wearing the ring throughout the movie because while he's away she tries it on then can't get it off and then as she's trying to get it off that's when the strangers start harassing her and then she never removes the ring from her ring finger so it's on her finger and her saying I love you and then them getting stabbed like that's extremely bleak but that's effective bleakness sure I would argue I would also say lastly the most realistic thing in this movie is it being set in the south and the ice cream that they fucking picked it was blue fucking bluebell baby <laughs> yep. I did I did notice that one thing else I noticed that made me think that this guy was the serial killer from the very beginning of the movie is uh, James sitting there eating the ice cream and he's like scooping it all around the sides like an idiot instead of just like putting your spoon <laughs> right in the middle and just eating. Like who does that? Why would you do that? What is your problem? Uh, I kind of do that sometimes. Oh, what man. is your problem? <laughs> You gotta like <laughs> scoop the edges so that it doesn't, it doesn't melt and leak drip off the edges. over. Yeah, that's the reason why I do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, on that note, how would y'all survive this? I, I admitted earlier that I'd like, if push come to shot, I mean, granted, what I would really do is just camp out in that fucking closet with the shotgun pointed and wait. Yeah, and <laughs> like, just never move from that spot. Yeah, but if like all else failed, I would out crazy the crazy and like put on my goddamn like Court of Owls mask I got when I bought that Batman trade and like put on my Court of Owls mask, get naked and like run out there with two knives in each hand, <laughs> like screaming. But uh, like, what would y'all do? Uh, I think the only thing that would make sense to me is, all right, so she's going out to the shed. There's a shit ton of trees around. Just go hide behind a tree. And just go run into the forest. Run into the forest, go climb a tree, stay up there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, climbing up a tree is actually a good idea. Unless they hack down the tree. They they could go get, like, the well, chainsaw. And I guess people with a mask, they do, uh, they do climb faster than they run. I heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Like, he fucking cranks the car. He's in the car. I would have just fucking... You don't have to go down the driveway. Okay, whatever. There's a truck blocking the driveway. Like, that yard's fucking wide open. Yeah, like I said earlier, run over the guy in front of the car, because, like, he's just standing there, acting menacing, run his ass over, and go around the house, like, in the car. Yeah. Or, like, the second you realize you shot Dennis Reynolds, go take his car. Yeah. <laughs> like, he goes out to the car, and at that point, the wires were ripped out, but that's because you waited too long, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. That 
that is the aggravating thing about this movie ultimately is just it's bad decisions <laughs> but i mean like bad decisions is a horror trope so like it is but it's usually earned through some prior explanation and like, even it's, comedically it's, a, it's even earned comedically which this this movie has no comedy in it in so many slasher movies it's a you transgressed and did something bad and now you're gonna die it's you're a bunch of teenagers in the woods and you're smoking pot and you're fucking and that's the thing that leads to your death teenagers having sex fuck this but you know there's usually some kind of dumb like cause and effect thing that happens and that's part of the randomness of this movie is what did they do to earn this or deserve it or whatever and you know they didn't they didn't they were just home yeah so anyway yeah that's about all i've got to say about this movie at this point honestly so do y'all have any final thoughts uh i don't think i'd watch it again (laughs) fair i don't think (laughs) that i will watch this for a while i had such a weirdly negative reaction to it this time and i don't know if i was just in the wrong headspace because this again this is a movie that i've liked in the past but i just i think i'm just fucking over like stuff that's just so overly dark like this without a clear cut purpose i don't know that i shared it on the show but i've also rewatched martyrs since the beginning of this year like i don't know why i just had a fucking itch to like let me revisit this fucking movie and that's another one of the like this movie will scare the utter fucking shit out of you it's so extreme tm right and i just found the movie to be like aggravatingly bleak and extreme for the sake of extremity and i just didn't i don't know like i i don't know if it's just one of those things where like i am old enough now and i have seen enough stuff and there's enough bullshit going on in real life at this point that i don't have patience for movies that are like trying to kind of replicate that level of bleakness and just banality and i just don't respond to them in the same way so you know i don't know if that's the movies aren't doing what they are trying to do or as much as it's just me not meeting that movie where it is you know like i have moved on and i'm just not in the mood for that kind of movie anymore and i would much rather watch something that's ridiculous horror rather than watching something that's oppressively bleak yeah i mean my final take is it was underwhelming for me but i liked it any horror fan should give it a watch even if you don't like it there's again enough stuff to appreciate about it that I think it deserves its place in the pantheon of horror movies but the stuff that's more nuanced in this movie is the audio direction and some of the visuals and far less the plot <laughs> and the purpose. I would say too like the dialogue and the acting I think is all solid. Yeah I would, I would agree with that. I, I, I think the dialogue is well written. I think the acting is solid from two people that you wouldn't necessarily expect it from. Again I think Liv Tyler is fantastic in pretty much everything I've seen her in but a lot of people just kind of shortchange her because they're like oh the Aerosmith guy's daughter whatever like she's just in this movie for like vanity reasons I will admit my, my opinion of her plummeted a little bit in that Hulk movie but I don't think that's her fault that movie is just kind of a mess but she really like opened my eyes to like what she can do as an actress in this movie like despite whatever our misgivings are about this movie like she is phenomenal in it I'll give her that you were mentioning like the bleakness of the movie usually that would be something that would 
get me into a movie more. And for some reason, it just didn't work for me with this movie. You absurdly to bleak, a more tragic bleakness, I yeah, think. Yeah, I will say absurdly bleak movies are my favorite genre of movie, probably. I think my favorite movie of all time is Grave of the Fireflies, which is just bleak start to finish. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, it didn't do it for me in this movie. You probably need a good purpose and a plot, too. Like, more nuance in it, maybe. Yeah. So it's not often that we do a movie that we're, like, not super hot on or kind of negative about. But, you know, this is one of those rare instances where we don't necessarily always respond to it. So I'm, I'm very curious to kind of hear other people's thoughts once this episode drops and uh, see if, you know, people have maybe similar reactions to us or, like me specifically, or people's opinions on the movie have kind of changed a little bit over time. So, yeah, this is definitely... Like a little bit of a different episode, but you know, I, I think it's it's kind of nice to shake things up a little bit. I guess I don't know. Please be kind to us. I know that a lot of horror <laughs> fans love a lot of people fucking love, love this, this movie. movie yeah. So like, I know we probably down on it, and our guest really didn't respond well to it. And uh, yeah, but uh, I, I am kind of glad we did go a little bit more critical this time around. But yeah, thanks again, Jonathan. I I wish we had you on for a better movie. I guess, but we're oh. glad that you're on here and you offered. A take that is the freshest of the fresh when it comes to uh, horror movies. Absolutely. And the next time you guys want to do like an absolutely batshit movie like House, like I'm totally down to watch that. Yeah, we uh, we need to have you back on for a batshit one. I I do love some good batshit movies. We are Watch If You Dare, a horror movie podcast hosted by myself, the coward boy, and my co-host, movie monster boy, Aaron, um, in which we uh, review and discuss fears and phobias uh, associated with horror movie and culture, horror movies and cultural relevancy. And we discuss how scary they are for both longtime fans and newbies like myself and Jonathan in this case. Uh, we are on all the podcatchers, Podbean, Apple, Podchaser, Spotify, probably our biggest ones but we're on pretty much almost all of them we're back on google actually because google uh google play died and like google music google play is like where the podcasts were on there like went away but now google is back again with google finally resurrected yeah like as google podcasts specifically so i re-added that link to our podbean website otherwise we also have a spotify music playlist please go check that out if you want to listen to some spooky tunes shout out speaking of music shout outs to your little brother jesse Mansfield. He is Party Gator and he has Opossums. Does he have any other music projects going on right now? Uh, nothing I'm aware of, no. And yeah. Hell yeah. All right, cool. Any uh, final words, Derek? Why are you doing this to Sally? Because you were home. Because we were podcasting.